is crazy. Outside, it's up past the fence. We started seeing it rushing in through the doors and under the floor, in our bedroom and through the back door. Unprecedented. Never seen this in 35 years of Broward County. Underwater. My wife put on my three-month-old, she strapped her on, I strapped on my three-year-old and climbed out the window. The deluge from damaging to dangerous. We will not be able to get into the communities at a really effective rate until we can get that water displaced. We have declared a state of emergency that allows our municipalities, including Fort Lauderdale, Dania Beach, and Hollywood, to be able to get mutual aid. What happened? Why? And what now? This bill, cited as the Heartbeat Protection Act, values and protects life. Late night private signing, new abortion restrictions on hold. Don't want an abortion? Don't have one. The debate gets personal. That's right, I called you demons and imps who come and parade before us. The intentions are evil. The intentions are to make us go away. Florida's culture clash bills dominate headlines. It sounds like you're calling it a waste of time. It is a waste of time. Everything that has happened has been a waste of time. Hear from your state reps on the front lines. The biggest news of the week and the newsmakers all live this week in South Florida. Good Sunday morning. I'm Glenna Milberg. Water levels and fear levels may depend on the block where you live and what you endured this week as record-setting rains came down and groundwaters came up. For our corner of South Florida, so accustomed to dangerous weather, the amounts and effects of this week's downpours took so many people by surprise. And now, days later, the ordeal is ongoing for neighborhoods and homes that were submerged. We will hear from the state and local responders and leaders and decision makers about what they know and what we can learn going forward. But first, a real-time look at where we are. Trent Kelly is live in Fort Lauderdale in a neighborhood still dealing with it all. Trent, good morning. Hey there, good morning, Glenna. That's right, we're in the Edgewood community just three days ago. This entire area was covered in water after they received an unprecedented amount of rain in a very short amount of time. Now, most of that flood water has since receded with just a few localized pockets still experiencing some flooding. Here at this church right behind me, you can see pretty much their entire front yard remains covered in several inches of water. No mass being held here today, just one of many areas still waiting to dry out days later. Take a look at some video from earlier in the week. In addition to the Edgewood community that I just mentioned, Fort Lauderdale's Melrose Park neighborhood was also hard hit by last week's nonstop storms. Residents there taking us inside their homes as the cleanup now begins. Some sharing stories of how they had to escape through windows after the water there just started to rise so quickly. But as the cleanup now begins, some residents are starting to experience other issues, most notably the lack of gas at several area gas stations. Take a look at some video we shot earlier this morning at a gas station in Pembroke Park. Workers there taping off all of their pumps. Not one single pump was open there. Some stations tell us they're out of gas completely. Others are only selling certain types. According to Broward County officials, we're told the problem is not a shortage of gas per se. Instead, they blame delayed fuel deliveries caused in part by that record flooding in the areas around Port Everglades. The entire situation, as it goes without saying, very frustrating for drivers on the hunt to find that fuel.
couple gas stations I've been to uh, had signs on them that they were out. I mean, I gotta probably just leave this city and probably go to a neighboring city to get gas. Yeah, just a little personal experience. My gas light came on earlier this morning. I spent about 15 minutes uh, hopping from station to station just find, trying to find gas. But eventually, if you drive around enough, you will be able to find it. Uh, now, we should tell you that Broward County officials tell us again that uh, it's not an actual gas shortage. They just need those gas port ever and out so they can deliver that gas. They tell us that operation is still ongoing. They're hoping to have more and more trucks hit the road here in the coming days, hopefully alleviating some of those problems. In the meantime, though, it's just another challenge for residents in areas like this to deal with. Obviously, they're keeping a close eye on this water. Anyone still experiencing flooding, just hoping this water starts to go down soon so they can begin that long process of cleaning up. For now, that is the latest live from this morning. I'm Trent Kelly. Anna, back over to you. Trent, thanks so much. Stay with me for one minute because I want to make sure everybody knows where you, where you are. Clearly still floodwaters on the block. That's Is that Melrose Park in Fort Lauderdale? Is that the neighborhood where you are? We're actually in Edgewood, Glenna, uh, one of the other hard-hit areas. Lot of flooding as well, but this is in Edgewood Park in the part of the community that's closest to 595. Uh, and again, driving through most streets, you'll see most are now clear. That was a much different story several days ago. This is one of those areas they had to use those swamp buggies to get people in and out of their homes. Now, though, Pretty much all the streets are clear. It's just these uh, these swales and drainage areas and some of the grassy areas in front of the buildings that still have some sitting water. Uh, another issue you got you got to think with is the mosquitoes. Obviously, as the time goes on and this water continues to sit here, that will be another concern for these residents moving forward. But again, as I mentioned, at this point, they're used to facing these challenges. They're just waiting for this water to go down so that they can hopefully start to uh, clean up and get this mess out of the way. Glenna. You know, that is the first time I've heard anyone mention mosquitoes. That is such a good point. And we are going to be talking to some of the city leaders and county leaders, and we're going to ask about uh, mosquito mitigation that I know the county sometimes does. Great point. Trent, So thanks so much for, uh, for being with us this morning. Thanks. All right, some of the most stunning images as the floodwaters rose, you know, came from Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport, where recent upgrades were not enough to protect operations from those rising waters. The airport and the port are run by the county, and Broward's mayor is also a district commissioner representing some of the county's hardest hit cities. Mayor Lamar Fisher is here to dive into it all. Mayor, great to see you. Hey, good morning, Glenna. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I want you know I want to start with this. You and your family are fourth generation Broward County residents, and um, and so you have a nice long lens from which to fill us in. Have you seen anything like this before? I have not, Glenna. This is totally unprecedented. Uh, all my life, I've never seen anything like this, and even my talking to my other family members, they have never seen such a a devastation of rain uh, that has occurred here recently. So have you, I know you've talked to uh, so many people from from scientists to the first responders. Do you have sort of an idea of what happened? Was it a confluence of, of weather phenomenon or was it sea level rise? Is it high tides? Is What happened? I think it's all the above. To begin with, you had 26 inches of rain within a 24 hour period 
and totally concentrated really in the Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, Dania Beach area. And it just was nonstop and there was no one to take it out and high tides were creating such a, a problem where the water could not actually flow anywhere. So all the retention ponds, all those opportunities for drainage were completely full. So the water could literally go nowhere. So it just began to pile up uh, all throughout our city and our county. And I'm, you know, I want to talk a little bit big picture here because, you know, with a little bit of hindsight, a couple of days of hindsight, do you think, you know, we're talking about Broward, obviously, you're the mayor of Broward County, but but we're talking regionally. I mean, Dade County experienced some really similar issues. Um, was there a way to prepare for this that maybe we didn't? I can tell you that our public works department two days prior to the storm coming did indeed uh, went to clear drains, clear street, clear debris uh, again two days before the event occurred. But again, uh, we just couldn't prepare. I don't think anybody could have prepared for the amount of rain that hit us, unfortunately, but we tried our best. And I think we now learned on what we can do maybe in the future, whether it be uh, more drain clean is i mean you could have all the pumps in the world for instance at our airport and it would not have made a difference because our airport was completely flooded both runways were solid water so let's talk about the airport for a moment um and i don't know if you can see that we are looking at some video of just how flooded <laughs> the not only the runways but the entire airport we saw a video of people passengers literally walking through the floods to get out of the airport leaving their car behind but the airport has had some upgrades in the past what five years there's a project uh, on the drawing board let's talk about Edgewood where our reporter Trent Kelly was this morning there was a drainage project ongoing just started about a year ago there I know that's a city project not a county project Correct. but but the point of, of all of this is all of these really well-meaning and pricey projects going on is there really a way to build and and infrastructure the way out of another potential crisis is that even I, possible? I believe I do believe so. As you stated, our Florida Hollywood National Airport is going through a master plan opportunity, and now we're kind of in the beginning stage. So now we can look at this event to see how we can make that project better from people movers, et cetera, but more now it, it drainage issues. And, and Edgewood was just devastated. I was talking to three residents on Friday at his press conference, and their outlook was obviously positive because they were resilient and bringing, bringing the community together, but that drainage um, uh, project that Fort Lauderdale is doing, of course, is not implemented yet. So they don't have the advantage of having that done yet. But once that's completed, I feel that will help mitigation in the future of this type of project, a problem we went through. So, yeah. And so now you have sort of this countywide, Broward County has what, like 34 cities? Did I 30, 31. 31. Okay. 31 cities. A patchwork of cities, each with their own government. The county has kind of that overview regional approach. I know you've been out talking, you know, you've been working, I'm sure, pretty much around the clock, talking to a lot of people, trying to figure out not only recovery in real time, but, but planning for the future, to your point. Um, do you see any differences in how a city handled it? The cities are really different. You have, you know, edge of the Everglades cities, you have coastal cities, you have landlocked cities, low, high, everything in between. What is your observation about who fared best? 
Well, I think, uh, Glenn, you have to look at it in the big picture. What happened as soon as the event occurred, we immediately began collaborating together, especially with our eastern coastal cities. And then I got to tell you that uh, Director Guthrie uh, hit the ground Friday morning here and from the state of Florida. And I also want to thank the governor because by signing the state of emergency, that allowed immediate resources from the state. So Director Guthrie hit the ground running. He provided us with... Uh, with vacuum trucks and all sorts of equipment, food, water, whatever was needed almost immediately. And so we, again, collaborated together with our municipalities and with the state uh, to correct the problem as far as getting the cars off the roads, uh, getting the debris removed from our roadways, and more importantly, trying to coordinate with the tides to be able to get this water receded out back to the ocean. So it truly became a working mechanism where all of us kind of paired together and how can we make this happen? And his leadership was absolutely amazing and still is. He's still here today. Uh, we know he's here today because he actually was supposed to be on the program with us today. But he is actually right now, I can tell you, on the way to an airport to pick up a lot of other first responder types who will be having a press conference in just about 45 minutes. Uh, so I know there is a lot more to come from him and a lot yes. more to come for us. Can I ask you to just sit, sit, uh, sit tight for about two and a half minutes or so? And sure we will be will. back right after the break. Stay tuned. You bet. We are back with Broward County Mayor Lamar Fisher all about the rains, what happened, the flooding, what may be to come. Mayor, I wanted to ask you a question that came up in our earlier live report from Edgewood. Uh, I'm not quite sure if you might have heard Trent Kelly's report, but he mentioned residents want to know about mosquitoes because all of that standing water, I mean, we're in April, but it sure does feel like summer. Um, that may be another little crisis to come in the next hours or days. What is, if anything, is the county doing about that? And again, to get, I'm so glad you asked that question because I want to make sure the listeners understand that beginning on Tuesday, uh, we are, of course, in charge of the mosquito spring throughout Broward County. So beginning Tuesday night, uh, we will begin with those hard hit areas with our spraying. Now that this spray is non-toxic, it's not, it's okay with humans and pets and so forth, but we already are planning ahead now to make sure the spring begins this coming Tuesday. That's good news. I know there's um, always some controversy on chemical spraying, um, and that's something I know you deal with every year. So yes. so some real-time this morning, real-time information. What can we expect tomorrow, Monday, the start of the work week? Bring us up to speed on the airport, on Broward County schools. What What is happening as of Monday? And, and I'm going to guess that tonight, if it rains tonight, all of this may change. Well, as far as uh, FLL, I'm excited to let you know that as of yesterday, we only had six cancellations at all. So and two of those were departures and four were arrivals. So we are spot on on almost back to full speed here. Our north runway is now open. Although it's a 9,000 feet runway, it's now at seven because we have our mass blocks that need to be replaced. But once we remove those, it'll become an 8,000 uh, feet runway. Uh, we had Air Canada, their Airbus uh, land yesterday on the north air, uh, north um, airstrip. So we are absolutely in good shape when it comes to FLL, Port Everglades as well. I spoke to Director Jonathan Daniels this morning. Uh, cargo and fuel and mainly uh, jet fuel is 100% now. 
and we are getting the tankers in and out the best we can to get those gas stations uh, filled too. I want to thank Tampa and Cape Canaveral. They stepped up and they have mutual aid and they brought their tankers of gas to fill that backlog, especially in the Palm Beach County area for us. So that was a great opportunity to be able to collaborate with them. But more importantly, it is steady now and all the gasoline stations should be uh, full within, of course, 24 hours. So we're happy about that. Great news. I know a lot of people in Miami-Dade County were also experiencing gas shortages at the pumps in Dade County. I guess a lot of that must come from Port Everglades. It does. Uh, Port Everglades does service, of course, the direct forward right to Miami International Airport, for instance, and that is flowing fine along the Palm Beach International Airport as well. Uh, but again, we're, we're on target. Uh, Chevron, for instance, though, full jet fuel capacity is running, their full rack is, and Valero just stepped up and their gas rack is now full too. So uh, again, within 24 hours, we should be all even, Stephen, when it comes to having everybody have fuel. So that said, let me just um, launch one last question. You know, the forecast is tonight for it to rain, maybe not for a thousand year storm as they're calling it, Correct. which I feel like, I feel kind of silly calling it a thousand year storm because it, it could happen next week, right? So sure. um, so now that we know, and hindsight is 2020, where do we where do we go from here? Are things gonna be a little different in the planning and forecasting, um, you know, infrastructure building? What, what happens because of what happened this week? I, I do, I think we're gonna learn from the experience at the end of the day, and we're gonna be able to hopefully prepare. Uh, if we see this weather coming towards us, we're gonna be able to prepare better. But at the end of the day, we have to all work together. All 31 cities and Broward County have to collaborate together with the state and with the federal government so we can get the resources we need to make those improvements at the end of the day. But it's it's a challenge. But uh, again, Broward County is resilient and will bounce back uh, to be uh, better and better. And, and are they are they working together or is did you we, sort of like hinted a headline we should be exploring? No, no, no. We are collaboratively working together. Again, I can't thank the state enough. We can't thank the city of Fort Lauderdale enough. Hollywood, working with Mayor Levy, they had a, a seawall that actually just dropped uh, yeah. in a multifamily community. And the state walked right in, was able to shore that up and help the city of Hollywood. So, again, working together as a team is most important. We can't afford not to. We have to work as one. Love to hear that in our divided times, especially. Mayor Lamar Fisher, it is great to have you on the program. Sure do appreciate your time on a very you, busy Sunday for you. We'll see you soon. Thank okay, you. Okay, thanks. And next, the debates over some of the state's most controversial bills erupted this week. Two of your local lawmakers on the front lines are live with us next. legislative session and some of the most controversial bills are coming in for a landing fueled by the Republican supermajority signed or about to be by the governor and not without hours of debates and some serious protest. We continue to host as many South Florida lawmakers as we can to talk about their positions and their votes for you. And with us today, two South Florida state reps from either side of the aisle who also represent some of the Broward cities struggling with flooding right now. Chip LaMarca, Republican representing Coastal Broward from Fort Lauderdale to Lighthouse Point. Hillary Cassell is serving her first term, a Democrat, repping Dania Beach, Hollywood, and Hallandale Beach. And it is really good to see you both today. Thanks so much for being here. Glad to be here. 
So we'll get to bills. Nice to and, be here. Thanks for having us. Of course. And we're going to get to the bills in just a minute. Um, I want to sort of just stay with this kind of weather phenomenon that both of you have constituents suffering at the moment. Um, Chip Lamarca, let me start with you. You were both in Tallahassee when this happened this week. How Take us through how this news of this unfolding calamity bubbled up to the state legislature. What, how did you hear this? Well, Wednesday evening, I was coming back, uh, leaving the Capitol, and got a phone call from uh, some folks in Fort Lauderdale. I spoke to Greg uh, Chevaria, the city manager in Fort Lauderdale, who he and I have been in contact every day since this happened, uh, as well as the District 4 Commissioner Warren Sturman, who's down in, uh, in, in the south part of the city where all the flooding really was. And uh, we, you know, we, we work directly with the state, with Kevin Guthrie at the Division of Emergency Management, which we want to thank him first for his you know, amazing work through, through COVID and then hurricanes. And now we have these, you know, weather events like this. And it's, it's really about connecting resources. And the city uh, has been uh, in contact with us and asking for what they need. And I know that the county had uh, an issue with the emergency order, but ultimately got that. Uh, worked out, and the mayor, uh, Mayor Lamar Fisher, and, and uh, Mayor Dean Trentellis have been in contact with uh, the state, and the resources are flowing now. And I know it, even as we speak, we mentioned that uh, the Division of Emergency Management Director Kevin Guthrie and a lot of other people are about to have a, a press conference to update everybody uh, on the ground here in real time. Hillary Cassell, you represent Dania Beach, where there was actually one of two tornadoes touched down, and we saw some of your constituents dealing with just kind of that narrow spot damage. Um, tomorrow, you are on the infrastructure committee, which meets tomorrow, but none of the bills you'll be talking about tomorrow have anything to do with this. Uh, what do you forecast a little bit for me? Is this going to be the sort of spark for some legislation to come? You know, it's it's not only should be the spark, it should be the, you know, the 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 grenade that lets us know that that we're in trouble. You know, as you know, I'm I'm a property insurance expert. That's my area of specialty. Yeah. So really communicating with residents and letting all Floridians know that flood is really the next, you know, portion of the climate control crisis that we really need to deal with and really educate residents that we need coverage and we need to make sure that people have coverage and have the ability to rebuild after things like this because it's not a matter of if as we've seen this week it's a matter of when you know I personally can't get half of the street to get out of my own neighborhood there are cars still stuck in major floods my district aide's home was flooded and was unable to get access to our office on Friday. So this hits really close to home. And obviously the legislature isn't likely gonna rebound with bills on Monday, but I anticipate speaking with the chair of that larger infrastructure chair pane to figuring out, do we need to call a special session? Do we need to try to advocate some for some additional resources in the budget as we prepare to engage in appropriations communications and conferencing this week to get some assistance to my community? So that will be a top priority for me. You know, you brought up a, a really good topic, flood insurance, which is offered at a, at a much lower rate to homeowners than the property insurance on the private market or even citizens because flood insurance is a national pool, but it's not required for everyone. I, and you both represent such coastal cities. I know, Chip LaMarca, you, you have a lot of constituents who are required to have flood insurance if they have a mortgage, but do, have you sort of gauged how many people are dealing with floods and the aftermath of, of flood damage that are not insured for that? 
Yeah, it's a great question, Glenna. I'd give you an example. Uh, when the last flood maps came out, I am right at the mouth of the Hillsborough Inlet and in Lighthouse Point uh, on a dry lot side of the street. And I actually am not required to have flood insurance to, uh, for my uh, mortgage, but we keep it. It, it. It's the cheapest insurance you can buy for the most bang for your buck if God forbid anything happens like this. And it, it's something that we, we really need to look at. I mean, I, going back to 2007, 2008, we talked about a na national catastrophic fund and what is going on wrong with flood map, the flood process in, in D.C. But, you know, at that point, the northeastern states were saying, hey, well, you have all the hurricanes down there in the mid-2000s. We don't want to pay for your damage. And then they had Sandy. Every other state has some type of calamity that hits, hits them from a natural uh, disaster perspective. And I just think it's something we should look at as a, uh, a federal model. I mean, obviously, we've got to figure out what the affordability number is, but ultimately, we can't have people that are unprotected, and we got to make sure that uh, that we, we have a product that they can purchase that, uh, God forbid, something like this happens, that they'll get uh, relief. Yeah, you know, I actually remember reading about some of that when the state was considering that pool. And I think I remember f there are five states, and I don't remember which ones, five states are, are the only states that don't have some kind of calamity like tornadoes or fire or flooding or, or something like that. So maybe that's worth revisiting. Hillary uh, Cassell, we had so many talks about property insurance on this program with you and others. And, um, and I know there is a bill uh, on on the books on the table right now to sort of hold insurers accountable for lowering rates after the last two in the last year bills that went through to help them survive as businesses where where is that in in the process so it's still working its way through its committee i don't serve on any committees that will hear that bill the first time i will likely hear that bill will be if it makes it to the house floor i have had an opportunity to review it but this is something that i've been advocating for in the legislature prior to even being elected i've been advocating as a consumer advocate for the last five years that insurance accountability is really one of the bigger problems you know we it's very obvious that the uh, reforms that have been passed over the last several years aren't actually the reforms that are necessary to bring people's premiums down and we need to fix that you know we're we're preventing access to the courts we're making it harder for consumers to actually hold their insurance companies accountable yet without any relief in sight actually several insurance companies have asked for rate increases as high as 60 percent and condominiums are asking for increases of over 100%. So it's it's quite evident to me that the Republican-controlled legislature doesn't understand this issue and don't, don't have their arms wrapped around it. And as a result, everyday consumers are still going to suffer um, and continue to pay the highest premiums in the country. It's going to be a very tough year for a lot of people. Um, I would love to get into some of the bills that uh, actually one that the governor signed this week. We have a quick break and we will be back with Chip Lamarca and Hillary Gassell in a couple of minutes. Stay tuned. Lamarca and Hillary Cassell from uh, R&D, respectfully, from both from Broward's coastal cities. I want to turn now to some of the big bills of the week. And, you know, there's so much I know that goes on in, in session that is so bipartisan and so important for the state. And this session, some of those culture clash bills have really been sucking up all the oxygen in the room. This week, the governor actually signed the bill that makes uh, 
pregnancy terminations a bit more restrictive to six weeks. And there was hours of debate before the preceding floor vote this week. Um, you both voted no. All the Democrats voted no. But there were some very interesting votes um, from the Republicans, especially in South Florida. Chip LaMarca, you were one of those who crossed party lines. Take us through the thought process and your vote voting against that bill. Well, thanks, Glenna. Um, I would say, uh, you know, in, in your description of pregnancy termination, I think it's it it, it uh, that that's putting it lightly. I mean, listen, we we dealt with abortion last year, and we dealt with a fifteen week ban, and uh, you know, I had uh, this this is a struggle for me. I'm a Catholic. By I have an uncle who's a Catholic priest. I spoke with him about it. I spoke with my wife about it. Um, it 15 weeks uh, for me was where I thought we would create more pro-life pro uh, uh, situation for, for people in the state of Florida. It would allow people to have uh, that procedure, but it would also be safe, safe and legal, but exceptionally rare. And for me, that was where I wanted to be. I think that's where my district uh, constituents are. And ultimately, six weeks was just, it, it was a number I could get to. Uh, I, I very, very much respect life and I'm pro-life. And, you know, I had this conversation of, you know, we, we're, we're at this point now where we're basically talking about a number. And for me, is something in a practical world possible in, in six weeks? I just didn't see where that was. So that's why I was a no on the, on the, uh, the issue. And you say things that are we've heard very similarly from other South Florida Republicans. Uh, Vicki Lopez, rep from Miami, also mm -hmm. cast an opposing vote. Um, in the Senate, Alexis Kaladiud from Miami cast an opposing vote. There were a couple of South Florida lawmakers that did not vote at all. Fabian Basabe from Miami Beach, Jim Mooney from the Keys, Dottie Joseph, who's a Democrat from North Miami. Um, mm -hmm. Hillary Cassell, this bill, all we talk about really when we report on it is the abortion restrictions. But I should say law because the governor signed it now. But there is millions in that bill for uh, pregnancy support, for maternal support, uh, newborn support. Did anything about those kind of components in the bill really make you step back and, and think about your vote? Um, thank you for that question. I, I do just want to highlight for people that are listening, while the governor has signed the bill into law, abortion access and health care is still available in the state of Florida. The law actually does not go into effect until additional factors come into play, which primarily is going to be the decision of the Florida Supreme Court in Planned Parenthood versus state of Florida. So I want to be very clear to those constituents and residents of Florida that are listening. It's still available. It's still accessible. While it's been signed into law, it is it is not um, in effect yet. Um, yes, and thank, thank you very question, much for pointing that out. I appreciate that. Um, but but going back to your question, you know, the reality is it's it's very smoke and mirrors what that twenty five million dollars covers that twenty five million dollars is going to very specific what are being referred to as, you know, pregnancy crisis centers, but they're all um, smoke and mirrors. They are people uh, espousing religious beliefs. They, many of them aren't actual medical providers. They are there to discourage women from seeking that access and making it more complicated. So all we've done, and Representative Lamarca mentioned it and he, when he talked about his faith, is we continuously in the state turn our head away from the First Amendment, which is freedom of religion. 
you know, and I also want to comment on the fact that Representative Lamarca did vote on the 15-week ban, and maybe if more Republicans stood up last year and voted no and stood up to the governor, we wouldn't be in a position where we're even considering a six-week ban. But here we are because the Republican Party rubber-stamped the 15-week ban, and now we're back. So well, let me um, let me dollars is smoke and mirrors for pregnancy crisis centers to keep people from accessing safe and legal abortions based on I, a violation, in my opinion. I, I, I would like to hear history. you respond to that, Rep. Lamarca. Yeah, um, Hillary is a friend, but I, I couldn't disagree more. The First Amendment is freedom of religion. It's not freedom from religion. Um, people who have a faith in, in, in life and a belief in life, um, if they go to a pregnancy help center, uh, ultimately, th that care, those millions of dollars, that $25 million is to help put somebody in a situation where they can afford to, uh, how to figure out how to, how to deal with their job and their timing and, and resources to be able to have that child. Um, I, I don't think smoke, I think smoke, we're talking about life. I don't think smoke and mirrors is something I would insert in this conversation. And as far as, you know, my vote last year, uh, like I said, I believe in life, but I, I think six weeks is, to me, it's a trap. Um, and I want to go back to one of the things you said before about the members who did not vote. And I'll be very careful about this because uh, Representative Mooney was dealing with a family crisis, uh, an accident in his family, and he was not there. But anyone who took a walk in that boat, I have a real problem with that because this is one of those things you can't hide. You can't walk away from. You're either a yes or you're, you're a no because your constituents deserve better. Hillary was a was where she was uh, you know on it and i was where i was on it for for different reasons but at least the, the constituents that we have know and so someone to have taken a walk on that boat to me is it's, it's not good i just i just want to mention to your point that um i i ascribe no judgment to who did not vote and i know representative mooney um had family issues i believe representative Dottie joseph also had uh a family issue as well. Uh, Fabian Basabe, I don't know why he didn't vote, but he did not. Hillary Cassell, what that representative said during the week, uh, kind of pointed his finger at Democrats for not compromising on what he felt would be a 12-week limit. Your response to that? My response to that is show up and do your job. You know, if he really thought that that was an option, there's an amendment process and he could have put Democrats on the board to actually support his accusations. And the reality of the situation is Democrats with the language presented in the 15 week bill weren't willing to compromise. We believe in the precedent set by Roe v. Wade. That is what we are fighting for. We had legal precedent for 50 years that has been in place, and that's the standard that we believe uh, Floridians in the nation um, is comfortable with. So he should have showed up to work. He could have filed an amendment. He could have put us on the board and actually supported his accusations, he, but he didn't show up to work that day. We, uh, we want to talk about the bill that redoes the standards for death penalty, and we will do that and talk about your votes on that when we come right back. Marka and Hillary Gassell, both of Broward County, talking about the big bills this week. One in the House that passed the House was to redo the standards for Florida's death penalty. No longer will it need to be a unanimous by the jury if the governor signs this. Instead, eight out of 12 jurors, a direct outgrowth of what happened in the sentencing phase for the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High shooter. Um, you both voted yes on this bill. Hillary Gassell, let's start with you. Um, just take us through that vote. 
Sure. You know, it, 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 it was a, it was somewhat of a difficult decision for me. I've struggled with my views on the death penalty, but I'm a former assistant state attorney um, here in Broward County. So when we talk about beyond a reasonable doubt, I understand what that means in practical application. And where we have inequalities in our justice system start well before we get to that place of a 12-0 guilty unanimous verdict, which this death penalty bill still requires. And it still requires beyond a reasonable doubt, and it still requires a 12-0 vote on aggravating factors. Where most people's issues and my issues, frankly, with our justice system and where those cracks lie is the guardrails that are in place when we arrest and making sure that we have the right person at the table. And that comes into play in making sure that also people have access to good lawyers, making sure our state attorneys and our public defenders are well-funded so they can keep good talent to make sure that people are getting the best advocates on both sides and have the experience necessary to make sure they're actually prosecuting the right person. So when we get down to an 8-4 verdict decision in death penalty, really what we're talking about is making sure everything that, that we do leading up to that is done, whether it's training our police, making sure biases are uncovered during training, making sure they have psychological care during it. Um, but for me, at the end of the day, in addition to what happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, you know, um, we need to have justice at the very end result. And I do think our community and those families were robbed of that justice in this particular situation. And at the end of the day, that's why I voted yes for all those reasons. Chip LaMarca, take us through your vote. Uh, again, uh, a real look inward as a uh, as a representative of, of this district and someone who's been involved in the political process for a long time. Uh, but again, as a as a as a Catholic, I you know look at it where the church is going, and I have to make my decisions based on you know where I think I, I think what Hillary said was really important with respect to the process getting there. But if ever there was a case where you have absolute proof and you have everything, all of the facts aligning, and you understand what what the punishment should and could be for this situation at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, I mean I I've had the opportunity, you know it's unfortunate why I had the opportunity, but to speak with and work with. Uh, parents like Tony Montalto and Ryan Petty and and uh, school members Hickson and, and Aladef and you know when you have people on the left and the right and in the middle all kind of saying the same thing and looking at the process and the system where, where it ended up and then you have again at the end of this process when we took our votes you have uh, representatives like Cassell and, and Daly and other people who were uh, you know conflicted on it as as I was as far as what the death penalty means but what this means um, that's where I, that's how I got there. And I, mean, I think if you, if you're going to have a death penalty, this was the case to have it. And if you're just going to, you know, find ways to get around it, then just, just eliminate it altogether. But, uh, ultimately I think it should be in extreme cases. And this was an absolutely, absolutely an extreme case where there's a lot of terrible loss and lack of closure for these families. And, uh, I don't want to see that ever happen again in the state of Florida. In the short time we have left together, I want you both to listen to something that one of your colleagues said in committee this week uh, as that committee took up one of the bills that would really change things for transgender community as far as state paid uh, health care and a lot of other rules and regulations that they feel targeted by. This is State Rep Webster Barnaby from Deltona. Take a listen. The Lord rebuke you, Satan and all of your demons and all of your imps who come and par par parade before us 
That's right, I called you demons and imps who come and parade before us and pretend that you are part of this world. Chip Lamarca, I know this is, I apologize for asking this question to colleagues, but I think on behalf of your constituents, it's important to hear, you know, your reaction to that. Um, I was in the committee. Um, I was more than put off. I was appalled. Um, it seemed to go on forever. Um, I kind of sat and I said, all right, when, when is it going to stop? Um, I, look, I, I don't always agree with a lot of the activist uh, organizations that surround our LGBTQ uh, community. Uh, I have many friends and, and many constituents I respect in it to a great deal and work with on a lot of issues from the LGBT uh, community. And I would just say that um, it was totally out of line. It was unacceptable. It shouldn't have happened in committee. Uh, I don't know that uh, anyone thought it was good. You know, anybody could have predicted that. And I, I do believe that, uh, you know, it was again, it was uncalled for. And that's not how I feel. That's not how the, the, the vast majority of any Republicans I've ever met in Tallahassee or worked with. I mean, people may have strong conservative views and may di differ with some of the some of these issues, but that's not a place for this. I mean, we go to Tallahassee to work together and we're expected to work together on like the next bill that comes up as, as, as Hillary said, I mean, we went from abortion to kid care, which is a tremendous priority of mine. And we got, we got some great work done on that. You can't do that if, if you burn bridges. And for me, uh, that wasn't just burning a bridge that was, you know, blowing it up. Hillary Cassell, I, I will say that the representative did eventually apologize for that. Um, you're not on that committee. Are you, you weren't there. I was not. But you heard about it or saw it because it dominated oh, I, I, the headlines for a day. Yes. It, and it should continue to dominate the headlines. Um, that will never be easy to listen to. I am absolutely disgusted that the chair of that committee allowed that to continue to be discussed. These are members of the public. These are our constituents. This is the people's capital. This is where they come to tell us what they want us to do with their state and to be treated that way and to, to utilize religion. And again, I think this is very important to talk about. We are elected officials. There is a separation of church and state for a reason. And if you're pressing a vote button based on your religion, I said it in my debate on abortion, you're in the wrong job. You are here to help people and not place additional unnecessary burdens in their way because you don't agree. The fact that the speaker has done absolutely nothing to admonish this behavior, the fact that the chair did nothing to stop him in committee goes to show you that they support what he said. If they didn't, he would be removed of his committees and we would have seen more um, discipline and reaction from the speaker's office and we haven't. So as far as I'm concerned, they're supporting his behavior. An apology after the fact, what, what does that mean if there's actual no consequences for the words that he said? It's unacceptable. We uh, are three weeks to go. I hope you both will keep in touch with us on other big things coming in for a landing. Chip LaMarca, Hillary Cassell, both state reps from Broward County. So great to have you aboard. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Thank you. And we will be right back. today's interviews or listen to the This Week in South Florida podcast, all you have to do is scan that QR code right there on your screen and it takes you right to the This Week in Florida section of Local10.com. 
and you know you are a big part of this program and you can connect so easily on social media with us. Find, follow, and reach out right there at Glenna WPLG on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are heading out this week for Assignment Israel, so we will see you here from Jerusalem next week. Until then, have a great week, and don't forget, keep in touch.